Hey, everybody. Thanks for listening to the Redemption Hill podcast. We are a community of people learning the way of Jesus to bless our city of Boise, Idaho, and beyond. Redemption Hill is a unique place. We are a collective of micro churches that do life together throughout the week and gather on Sundays to grow, worship, and celebrate what God is doing in our city. You are invited to join us Sundays at 9 a.m. at Discovery Church in Boise, where you can find the community you need in any season of your life. More details can be found at redemptionboise.org. Up next is the teaching segment from this week's Sunday Gathering. Afterwards, stay tuned for more information on how to get connected at Redemption Hill. The song that we sang just a few minutes ago was called Another in the Fire, and its main visual metaphor comes from the book of Daniel and the story of the the three young Jewish exiles in Babylon who refused to bow down to the, the king's idol. So this king, Nebuchadnezzar, had them arrested and brought before him and gave them another chance to bow, this time on penalty of death by being burned alive. And their reply was amazing. They said, oh, Nebuchadnezzar. <laughs> you can kind of read the, the tone as they say this. Oh, Nebuchadnezzar, we do not need to defend ourselves before you. If we are thrown into the blazing furnace, the God whom we serve is able to save us. He will rescue us from your power, your majesty. But even if he doesn't, we want to make it clear to you, your majesty, that we will never worship your gods or worship the gold statue you have set up. And this this so infuriated the king that he, he had them thrown into the furnace, but not before the fire was stoked so hot that it killed the men who threw them in. But it didn't kill the three Jewish exiles. In fact, the king was amazed to see not only three of them walking around in the flames, but a fourth, whom he said, looks like a god. The Bible never explicitly says who was that fourth person, who was in the fire with them, but I think I have an idea. Fast forward a little more than 500 years and about 900 miles westward to the Jordan River where John the Baptist is preaching to the crowds, baptizing many of them. And imagine that standing before John the Baptist are are two groups of people, those who admit that there is wrong in their lives and they have come to have their sins forgiven as it says in the the first chapter of Mark. But then there are also those who won't admit that they need anything, those who feel righteous on their own. And both were there to see what John was doing. And the Gospel of John uh, tells us that there were some there who only wanted to challenge the baptizer's authority. Matthew tells us that even some of the religious leaders had come and John had rebuked them for their lack of repentance. And so Jesus comes into the middle of this very charged scene. And rather than just standing up on the banks observing or even rushing down into the middle and taking charge, he gets in line. 
Jesus steps down into the water. And he takes his place alongside those who had come to repent. To leave behind a life of sin. To get right with God. And Jesus himself doesn't confess anything. He's, in fact, the only one there who doesn't need to confess anything. But he stands alongside those people who had come down to the river to lay down their sins and find God. Over and against the the Roman authorities who were there to oppress them, to keep everyone in line, over and against the religious authorities who didn't feel like they needed anything, that they were all good. He stands alongside the people who knew that they needed God. And by doing this, Jesus was identifying himself with the people that he had come for. In fact, this was just the beginning of a a life of identification with us, with people in need of redemption. Jesus standing with us, as he did with those three Jewish exiles in the fire, taking our side, taking our place. And God was pleased with this. If you have a Bible, look at the the Gospel of John. The Gospel of John chapter 1. Verse 29 says, The next day John, the baptizer, saw Jesus coming toward him and said, Look, the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. He is the one I was talking about when I said, a man is coming after me who is far greater than I am, for he existed long before me. I did not recognize him as the Messiah, but I've been baptizing with water so that he might be revealed to Israel. And then John testified, I saw the Holy Spirit descending like a dove from heaven and resting upon him. I didn't know that he was the one, but when God sent me to baptize with water, He told me, the one on whom you see the Spirit descend and rest is the one who will baptize with the Holy Spirit. I saw this happen to Jesus, and so I testify that he is the chosen one of God. The following day, John was again standing with two of his disciples. As Jesus walked by, John looked at him and declared, look, there is the Lamb of God. And when John's two disciples heard this, they followed Jesus. Now, if you, if you keep reading, you'll see one of the disciples was Andrew, and the other was probably another John, the author of this gospel, and the author of the, the New Testament letter, 1 John, that we've been working through this summer, and we'll finish up next week. And the reason why I walk through all of this is to help us understand what we're going to read today in 1 John. So... If you have your Bible, if you have your Bible app, flip over a little bit towards the back to 1 John chapter 5, to our passage for today. 1 John 5, verses 4 and 5 says this, For every child of God defeats this evil world, and we achieve this victory through our faith. And who can win this battle against the world? Only those who believe that Jesus is the Son of God. Two phrases John uses here stand out to me. Defeats this evil world and wins 
win the battle against the world. I was um, recently talking with a pastor that I've been coaching. That's one of the things I do is I um, coach pastors and walk alongside them. And he let me know that a few days before uh, this conversation, he had been fired. They had gotten a new senior pastor, and the new guy wasn't really feeling it with my friend, who was the, the children's pastor, and so they let him go. And I asked him how he was doing, and of course, he was, was pretty hurt. He was pretty angry, angry at God, even. I think maybe he felt uh, like he'd been serving God, and so he was confused. You know, the implication was that he, he, he kind of felt like God maybe owed him a little bit better than that for all his years of service. In fact, he hadn't really talked to God much in the previous days since he had been let go. He felt like God was pretty distant. And he was thinking of hanging up the whole ministry thing, just throwing in the towel and, and just focusing on a career where he could really make some money. We had a good conversation but it started with this question. I asked him, listen, if you have to go through this, do you want to go through it with God or without him? I mean, if you have to walk through this fiery furnace, and it, it seems like you do, like this situation isn't going to miraculously change, do you want to do it alone or When I read what John writes here, every child of God defeats this evil world. We achieve this victory through faith. And who can win this battle against the world? The first question that comes to mind for me is, well, what does a win look like for the world? What am I, what am I pushing back against? What am I trying to stop from happening? And I think it might be this. The goal of the whole world system, I think, is to replace God in your life, to give you some shiny gold thing that you can bow down to, to make you think that you really don't need God. Sometimes the way the world wins is to make us so comfortable that God seems irrelevant. But sometimes, and I think more often, the way the world wins is to cause us so much pain that we're tempted to think that God is indifferent. But either way, a person alone, without God, that's the goal. That's the win. And every tragedy, every pain, every hurt that, that you or I have ever experienced in our life wants to do that same thing to separate you mentally, emotionally, spiritually from God, the God who stands with you. Cancer wants to separate you from God. And if it does, cancer wins. But even if cancer kills you, if you stay closely connected to Jesus, cancer loses you win. Job loss 
wants to separate you from God. Losing a loved one wants to separate you from God. Chronic pain, broken relationships, doubt, fear, whatever it is that you find yourself facing, all of it has the same goal. And they win, they only win, when we allow ourselves to be pushed further away rather than closer to God. John says in verse 5, he says, And Jesus Christ was revealed as God's Son by his baptism in water and by shedding his blood on the cross, not by water only, but by water and blood. And the Spirit, who is truth, confirms it with his testimony. So we have these three witnesses, the Spirit, the water, and the blood, and all three agree. Since we believe human testimony, surely we can believe the greater testimony that comes from God. And God has testified about his Son. All who believe in the Son of God know in their hearts that this testimony is true. Those who don't believe this are actually calling God a liar because they don't believe what God has testified about his Son. At one point, Jesus told his disciples, in this world, you will have trouble. But take heart. I have overcome the world. Jesus took the absolute worst that the world could dish out in terms of suffering, pain, even feeling at one point abandoned by his father. But none of it could do what it intended to do. None of it could stop Jesus from saying, Father, into your hands I give my whole self, my whole being. And John was there. He was there at the baptism because he had been following the baptizer before Jesus called him. And he was there at the cross, the last disciple to stick close to Jesus as he was crucified. And he was the first of his disciples, after Mary Magdalene, to see the empty tomb. Read that story in, in the Gospel of John. It's fun. He mentions that he outran Peter to get there. A little bit of rivalry. And so he's giving us, as he says at the beginning of this letter, he's giving us what he saw, what he heard, what he himself knows to be true. And as he talks through these, these witnesses, the water, the blood, the spirit, he's keying in on these different things in the story that he saw. And what he's really doing is he's answering some weird ideas about Jesus that had begun to spring up, but here's where he's going with all this. Look at verses 11, 11 and 12. He says, and this is what God has testified. He has given us eternal life, and this life is in his Son. Whoever has the Son has life. Whoever does not have God's Son does not have life. John's words here, at least to modern ears, sound a bit mm, black and white, dogmatic, maybe. But this is an old man 
writing to a younger audience, not about ideas, philosophy, speculative theology. He's just saying, I was there. I saw it all. And in my long life, in a very hard and difficult life since then, I'm telling you, there's only two outcomes. Life or death. Being beaten down by everything you've experienced and will experience, death. Or taking the worst that the world has to offer and coming through it intact, connected to God, life. When he says eternal life here, he's not talking about heaven, right? Christianity is not believe in Jesus so that when you die. That's a religion for death. I mean, that's, that's fine if that's all you're after. What he's talking about is a kind of life, a way of living, a quality of life that begins now and, yes, stretches out to eternity, but changes everything even now. A kind of life that transforms the fire of the furnace from pain and suffering into something very different. A kind of life that transforms pain and loss from meaningless suffering into another place where we can find God, where we can experience his love, feel his presence, and know ever more deeply the one who steps right into the middle of it with us. If you're here and you consider yourself a follower of Jesus, John's encouragement today, I think, is to begin thinking more clearly about the challenges in your life and what you want to allow them to do to you, or maybe better yet, for you. I read a book a while ago by a pastor who had been diagnosed with prostate cancer and the ways that he thought about this. It's one of those books whose title alone is worth the cost of admission, cost, the cost of the book. He called it, Don't Waste Your Cancer. And the whole premise is that experiences like illness or other tragedies have the potential to pull us away from God, but they also have the power to do the opposite, to push us closer to him, deeper into his loving arms. And it's really up to us which way it will go. If we allow these difficult things to pull us away from him, then those things win. the pain wins. But if we turn those experiences into another chance to rely on God, to get to know him better, then we are experiencing life. We are living ever more as we were meant to, connected to God, the very source of life. 
So his advice was not to waste any hard experience, but to beat it by using it. My encouragement to this pastor, by the way, was uh, to not waste getting fired. (laughs) If you're here and you're not yet a follower of Jesus, this probably all sounds a bit crazy, and I totally get that. And so the only thing I can say is stick around and see, right? See what happens when a follower of Jesus experiences something like a life-changing diagnosis or a devastating loss. If all of this is true, and I believe it is, the ways in which that is experienced and the results it has on that person's life will be qualitatively different. So stick around and see. And maybe, in the meantime, begin to think about the hard spaces in your own life. And if maybe those are the exact places where you might meet this Jesus that we're always talking about. We're going to come to the table now, and I'll invite the band to come up. On the night before Jesus went through this incredible suffering, before he was condemned, and then crucified. He sat with his disciples. He invited them to this table. And they shared a meal. During the meal, he took the bread and he broke it. And he gave it to them and he said, this is my body given for you. And he took the wine and he poured it. And they shared it. And he said, this is, this is my blood. This is the sign of a new covenant between God and man. Drink this. And what he was really doing there was in all those spaces in which Jesus had stepped down into it with us, that he had identified with us, he was now giving us a way to identify with him. To say, Jesus, what you are offering, the kind of life that you are offering, I want, I accept. So this morning, wherever you're at, whatever it is that you're going through, if you want to say yes to Jesus, then this table is for you. This bread, this wine, this juice is for you. If you're here and you're not sure yet, that's okay. Don't feel like you have to take part in this. But if you are here, and especially for those that are in the middle of it, you feel the, the, the heat of the furnace, I would encourage you to come to this table 
take this bread, this, this cup, these symbols of, of Christ's sacrifice on our behalf. Take them and say yes to him. Jesus, in the midst of whatever I am going through, I want to listen. I want to hear your voice. I want to be drawn closer to you by this experience. Let's pray. The band will play and we'll sing. And as we do, I invite you to come up as individuals, as groups. Don't feel like you have to form an orderly line. Just come to the table, right? Let's pray. God, we are under no illusions that life is easy nor are we under the illusion that you owe us. That somehow because we have believed in you that our lives should become miraculously easy, we know that's not the way things work. And so God, the only thing we can say is if we have to go through these things, if we have to walk through this life in all its pain, We want to do it with you, not without you. Thank you for being the one who never turns his back on us, who never is indifferent to the suffering in our world. Thank you for entering into the middle of it and for being with us through it. Amen. Thanks again for listening. Make sure to subscribe to get the weekly episodes in your podcast feed. You can find out more on how to get connected with Redemption Hill at redemptionboise.org connection, where you can fill out the connect card and start your journey today. For regular encouragement throughout the week, follow us on Instagram at Redemption Boise. We are so glad you're here and are excited to accompany you in your story with God. We hope to see you soon.